Before I dive into this week's episode, I want to let you in on something extra special coming next week. I did a post on Instagram this week that resonated with people a lot. I explained that there are two different pedals for weight loss, the gas pedal and the brake pedal. The gas pedal is what you do to lose the weight. Things like improving your nutrition, exercising or moving, getting good sleep, and reducing your stress. But so often I hear from people, Morgan, I'm doing everything to lose weight and I'm not seeing results. What's wrong with me? Am I broken? Is this ever going to work? I explain that it's not what they're doing. It's not the gas pedal that's the issue. The problem is that their foot is simultaneously on the brake pedal and they don't even know it. They're having dysfunctional thoughts and limiting beliefs that are leading to self-sabotage. In essence, they're having a mental weight loss plateau. They are trying to fix a thinking problem by doing. And I have to explain the different types of weight loss plateaus. A physical plateau requires a different strategy than a mental plateau. And if you're going to learn how to lose all of your weight and keep it off, you'll need to learn how to master both. That's why I created a brand new quiz to help you pinpoint what type of weight loss plateau you actually have. Knowing this gives you power to make changes that will make a difference. The needle mover changes you need to know. I don't want you to feel like you're on a hamster wheel of weight loss. I want you to have confidence and clarity that you're on the right track. That's why I created this quiz. So if you've been trying to lose weight and aren't seeing the results you want, make a reminder on your calendar. The quiz will be ready by next week's episode. And I can't wait for you to take it and learn what type of weight loss plateau you're dealing with. I know you're going to find your results valuable and eye-opening. And I don't stop there. After you take the quiz, you'll get even more information and resources about how to break through your weight loss plateau. If you feel stuck, overwhelmed, confused, like you want to give up, I want you to give yourself the gift of clarity and take the quiz. I will tell you how you can get access to this quiz next week, so be sure and stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, physical therapist turned weight loss coach. I used to struggle with emotional eating, consistency, and confidence. Then I made my health a priority and learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all. I changed my mindset and lifestyle to lose 20 pounds with small, sustainable changes. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, Dr. Morgan here. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. I always appreciate your time and your attention. I know that you have a lot going on and I'm honored that you're tuning in today. Today, I'm going to share with you five ways you can lose weight even if you have pain and arthritis. Your memories should not be limited by your mobility. And hey, I get it. I'm a physical therapist. I've treated a lot of people with arthritis. I've seen their pain. I have heard their creaky joints when they stand up from a chair. 
painful joints and inflammation drains your energy and makes wanting to exercise really difficult because it hurts, right? We don't want to do things that hurt, but there is so much hope for you. You can absolutely 100% lose weight and keep it off without exercise. Now, as a caveat, I am a physical therapist, like I just said, and I love exercise. There are so many reasons why we should exercise for our mental and physical health, but the truth is This is rarely where I start with a client or course member. I talk about exercise inside my program, and I teach my clients about how to optimize their exercise routine, but really we don't start there. There are so many more tools in the weight loss toolbox besides eating less and exercising more. In fact, a couple of the tips that I share with you will save you time, energy, and money. Losing weight will not only help reduce your pain and inflammation, but it will help you move again. It's going to improve your quality of life. It's going to impact your family and your job and just your hobbies, right? We lost so much in 2020. So many memories were lost, but 2021 is going to be your year. Now is your time to make the healthy changes and start living the life you want. Do not put off your health any longer. Take action today. And it is so, so great that you're here because you're going to get clarity around where to start. So let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. If you have arthritis, pain, or just limited mobility and are trying to lose weight, you may feel like you're at a huge disadvantage. Maybe you feel trapped in this endless negative thought cycle that goes something like, gosh, my joints are killing me. I really need to get some weight off of them, but how am I going to do that when I can't exercise to burn calories and lose weight? If you're like so many of my clients, you've tried about every diet on earth and maybe have seen some level of weight loss success, but it either came back on or you plateaued and don't know how to move the needle forward again. If you've lived your whole life with the thought that losing weight is about eating less calories and exercising to burn more calories, I'm here to tell you it's not. You can absolutely lose weight without exercise, and this training is gonna show you how. Now, before you think I'm crazy, I'll tell you that I never start with exercise for any of my clients. And as Dr. Jason Fung says in the obesity code, exercise is like brushing your teeth. It's good for you and you should do it every day, but don't expect to lose any weight. In fact, one of my clients lost 20 pounds in just 20 weeks with a fractured wrist and almost no exercise. And it wasn't through some crazy restrictive diet either. The key to losing weight without exercise is learning how to lower your insulin resistance and inflammation. So buckle up and get a notepad to take notes because this training is going to change your life if you're living with chronic pain and you need to lose some weight. Here's what you're gonna learn. First, I'm going to explain what insulin resistance is. Next, you'll get a quick quiz to see if you have it, and chances are you do because up to 85% of adults in America have insulin resistance. Then I'll explain why osteoarthritis and insulin resistance go hand in hand, and why reducing your insulin resistance will absolutely help you lose weight and improve your joint health. 
you'll learn about a common arthritis medication that may be helping with one problem, your joint pain, but contributing to another, your insulin resistance. And finally, I'm gonna give you five tips for how to lower your insulin resistance in this training. Be sure to watch all the way until the very end of this training because I'm gonna give you a bonus tip that I know you're gonna love if you find this video helpful. I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of the Weight Loss for Health online course, community, and coaching program. I help you lower your insulin resistance and inflammation so that you can lose weight, keep it off, and prevent disease. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to this channel and like and share this video and leave a comment below. That engagement helps the video get seen by and in turn help as many people as possible. I recognize that insulin resistance is not a common term. So before I dive into five tips to help you lower insulin resistance and inflammation if you have arthritis, here's a quick review of what it is and why you should care. Insulin is a hormone made in your pancreas. It serves many purposes in the body, but the two I want you to learn about today is that it lowers your blood sugar and is the primary determinant of your body set weight. Keeping blood sugar and insulin low is the key to reducing your risk for chronic inflammation and diseases like type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, dementia, cancer, and even arthritis. When you eat a meal, especially one high in carbohydrates, you'll create a lot of blood glucose. That glucose can't hang around in the blood. It has to get into your cells to be used for fuel or stored for later use. The blood glucose can get into your cells in one of two ways. It can be pulled in by muscle demand, for example, moving or exercising, or it can be let in by insulin. Think of glucose receptors on the cells as the lock. And when insulin binds to the receptor, it acts like the key for glucose to move out of the bloodstream and into your cells. The problem comes when you develop a resistance to your own insulin. This happens when insulin is too high for too long. You may be familiar with other forms of resistance, for example, resistance to pain or sleep medications, where the lower doses stop working as well and you require more medication to get the same effect. It's the same scenario with insulin. You require more of it to maintain the same level of blood sugar. Think of insulin as your fat storing hormone and the higher your insulin levels, the higher your body set weight. The lower your insulin levels, the lower your body set weight. I completely understand if this doesn't make full sense to you right now, it blew my mind the first time I heard of it as well. But everything made so much more sense and really clicked into place when I started learning about insulin resistance. When you start using how will this affect my insulin as a litmus test for if a choice is healthy or not, instead of how many calories or points does this have, you're gonna see so much better results. Here's where the good news comes for you if you have limited mobility and want to lose weight. Losing weight is about lowering your insulin. You may have thought you just had two tools in your weight loss toolbox and that's eat less and exercise more. But really, there are so many things that impact your insulin levels. I found the book Why We Get Sick by Dr. Benjamin Bickman very helpful in understanding more about insulin resistance and how it's at ground zero for nearly every disease. The following is a quiz he gives in the book to help you determine if you have insulin resistance without actually getting your blood insulin levels checked. Mentally answer each of the following questions. 
If you answer yes to one of the questions, you likely have insulin resistance. If you answer yes to two or more of these questions, you most certainly have insulin resistance and really need to pay close attention to the rest of this training. Do you have more fat around your belly than you'd like? Do you have high blood pressure? Do you have a family history of heart disease? Do you have high levels of blood triglycerides? Do you retain water easily? Do you have patches of darker colored skin or little bumps of skin called skin tags at your neck, armpits, or other areas? Do you have a family member with insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes? Do you have polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, for women or erectile dysfunction for men? Notice here that several of the questions asked for family history, and that's because if you have prediabetes, diabetes, or heart disease, you absolutely have insulin resistance. So how do you do? If you're watching this on YouTube, let me know in the comments below if you think you have insulin resistance. I'm going to talk about the link between osteoarthritis and insulin resistance. Here is a paraphrased excerpt from Why We Get Sick explaining the connection between insulin and osteoarthritis. Because osteoarthritis, or the loss of joint cartilage, is common in obesity, many physicians thought it was caused by carrying around too much weight for too long, leading to the classic wear and tear on the joints. However, osteoarthritis is increasingly considered a metabolic disease. Out of a broad range of overweight individuals, researchers, researchers studied those with osteoarthritis were most likely to have the highest insulin levels. Every cell in your body has an insulin receptor, even the cells in your joints. An essential component of the joint is the cartilage, the smooth, flexible, connective tissue lining the ends of the bones that articulate a joint. The main cells in cartilage are called chondrocytes, and these are receptive to insulin. They are responsible for creating and maintaining the cartilage lining known as the matrix, and this is made largely of collagen and substances that the chondrocytes need glucose to create. And the chondrocytes need insulin to take in that glucose. An insulin-resistant chondrocyte can't make that matrix, and ultimately the cartilage weakens. Another essential component of a joint beyond its lining is the grease for that joint known as the synovial fluid. And synovial fluid is made from cells called synoviocytes. When synoviocytes are exposed to high levels of insulin, they experience an invasion of immune cells that ramp up inflammation in the joint and reduce synovial fluid production. Without this grease, the gears just grind on each other. And as a reminder, osteoarthritis shouldn't be confused with rheumatoid arthritis, which is a chronic inflammatory joint disease. Likely because of this inflammation caused by rheumatoid arthritis, it increases the likelihood of developing insulin resistance. Now that you have a better understanding of how insulin resistance is at the root of your arthritis and your waistline, it's time to talk about solutions to lower your insulin resistance without exercise. My first tip is to check to see if your arthritis medications are contributing to insulin resistance. Many people with joint pain take medications to help reduce their pain and sometimes make getting through the day possible. However, one of my favorite sayings in geriatric medicine is that everything is a medication side effect until proven otherwise. 
Some of the medications you might be taking to help alleviate your joint pain are acting like a band-aid, covering up the real problem, and could actually be making insulin resistance worse, causing more long-term joint damage. Many people with arthritis are taking glucosamine in some form, which may improve joint health and reduce joint pain, but evidence for these supplements are ambiguous and open to debate. However, while glucosamine may improve your joints, it does certainly contribute to insulin resistance. And it's not the only medication that you could be taking that might be impacting your weight. You may be taking more than one of these medications, having a compounding effect on your metabolism and insulin resistance. So here are some other common pain and swelling medications that raise insulin resistance. We have steroids like hydrocortisone and prednisone and COX-2 inhibitors like Celebrex. Topical creams do not raise blood glucose and therefore would not have an impact on insulin resistance. So I would try those instead of the pill. If you feel like you need medication for your pain, which is understandable, please talk with your physician and determine what the best course of action is for you. If you already have diabetes, you're gonna to wanna to be aware of how medications may increase or decrease your blood glucose. Be sure you have a glucometer in your house and know how to use it. Trust me, episodes of acute hypo or hyperglycemia are pretty scary. It's best to try to control your blood glucose and avoid them altogether, but if you are at risk, or if you have a family member in your house who is at risk, know how to check blood sugars and have a plan for if they're outside of a safe range. There may be other pain relief options that won't raise insulin. And if you're trying to lose weight, I would suggest that you consider backing down on the glucosamine, steroids, Celebrex, and the like, and concentrate your efforts on medications that won't raise blood glucose and insulin. I can't personally give you medical advice here, and before you try and change anything with your medications, it's always a great idea to talk with your physician about the safest course of action for you, depending on your overall medical history and goals. If you're not in a place where you feel like you can change your medication regimen, I have a few more helpful tips that will not only help lower insulin resistance, but also inflammation. So hopefully you can reduce or eliminate your need for pain medications and start incorporating more movement or exercise into your lifestyle to further support your mental and physical well-being. My second tip for you is to reduce added sugars in your diet. Added sugar is a type of carbohydrate. As a review, there are three main macronutrients carbohydrates consisting of starches, sugars, and fibers, proteins, and fats. Not all carbs, proteins, and fats are created equally in regard to how they impact your insulin resistance and inflammation. Processed and refined sugars and starches acutely spike blood sugar levels leading to a spike in insulin. Added sugar is a double whammy because it's been shown to trigger the same reward center in the brain as cocaine. Sugar begets sugar, and the more you have, the more you're gonna want. Your body has only about four grams or one teaspoon of sugar, and it's five liters of blood. So when you eat a bunch of sugar and flood your system, it's a stress to get rid of it as fast as possible and return to that baseline of four grams. 
The American Heart Association recommends women have no more than 24 grams of added sugar per day, and men have no more than 36, but obviously the less the better. Added sugar, like table sugar, is 50% glucose and 50% fructose. This glucose can be metabolized anywhere in the body, but the fructose is metabolized almost exclusively in the liver. The liver has a limited capacity to metabolize fructose, and if it gets too much at a time, it immediately turns it into liver fat, and a fatty liver is not an efficient liver. When you eat starchy foods like bread or pasta, the starch is 100% glucose, which again can be used anywhere in the body. I explain why added sugar is the worst type of carb for you and your health in this video. If you want to learn more, definitely check that out. And if you're a pop drinker, I want you to watch this video to learn exactly how much sugar you'll save if you give up one can of pop a day for a year. Added sugar is hiding in so many processed foods. There are over 70 different names for added sugar, including sucrose, fructose, brown rice syrup, high fructose corn syrup, agave, honey, maltose, and so many more. I recommend you start looking at your food labels and zero in on added sugar. It's gonna be hard to avoid altogether, but making a consistent effort to eat less refined sugar and starches is one of the best things that you can do to lower your insulin resistance. If you have a problem with sugar, I highly recommend the documentary Fed Up to motivate you to give it up or at least cut back on it significantly. I want you to Google watch the Fed Up documentary and several options will come up for you. Tip number three is to prioritize protein. Most of my clients are not eating nearly enough protein when they start my program. Protein is essential for healthy muscles and healthy muscles are necessary for healthy joints and healthy bones. The government's new 2020 dietary guidelines recommends that adults get five and a half ounces of protein per day. And five and a half ounces of chicken is equivalent to about 45 grams. I think the new government guidelines are so confusing and unfortunately not helpful to lower your insulin resistance and fuel our bodies for optimal aging and disease prevention. The research I've found suggests at least 1.2 to 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. And personally, I recommend even higher. I aim for 2.2 grams per kilogram of ideal body weight, or to make the math simpler, one gram per pound of ideal body weight. For example, if your ideal body weight is 140 pounds, aim for 140 grams of protein. This is the amount recommended to build muscle, and as we age, we are faced with the harsh reality of sarcopenia, or the natural loss of muscle mass. We should all focus on building muscle. If you're not building, you're losing. Prioritizing protein has a couple additional benefits for weight loss. First, it's very satiating, and unlike refined carbohydrates, proteins and fats will trigger your satiety hormones to keep you fuller for longer, reducing overeating and your urge to snack between meals. Second, protein has a higher thermogenic effect of food, meaning that your body has to expend more energy just breaking down the protein that you eat compared to carbohydrates. Often my clients will tell me their sugar cravings are drastically reduced when they prioritize protein. Another note that's important is to aim for at least 30 grams of protein per meal because for adults, that's the minimum threshold needed for optimal muscle protein synthesis. Having 10 grams of protein at a meal won't cut it. 
you need the proper total amount dosed high enough to build muscle. There are a few distinct advantages to having more lean muscle mass for weight loss and weight maintenance. Number one, muscle is a more metabolically active tissue than fat, meaning your resting metabolism is higher the more muscle you have. That's why athletes can eat so much food and not gain weight, one of the reasons at least. Second, in the average middle-aged person, muscle accounts for roughly 25% to 30% of body mass, which makes it the largest insulin-sensitive tissue in the body. When it comes to insulin resistance, muscle is very important. How much of it we have and how insulin sensitive it is, is vital in determining how insulin sensitive our entire body is. This is largely a function of muscles ability to take up glucose from the blood in response to insulin. As glucose drops, insulin returns to baseline. As the amount of muscle increases or decreases, insulin sensitivity changes accordingly. This means if we have more muscle, we have more room to deposit glucose and remove it from the blood, which helps keep our insulin low and maintain a higher degree of insulin sensitivity. Strength training, adequate protein, and reducing added sugars were the trifecta that helped one of my clients go from eight out of 10 knee pain and hobbling down the stairs in the morning to no knee pain and running down them without me ever laying a hand on her knee. Tip number four is to increase healthy fats. I'm not gonna go into too much detail here because I've discussed healthy, neutral, and unhealthy fats in this video and offer more information in my free ultimate food guide, which you can download at www.weightlossforhealth.com forward slash ultimate food guide. What you need to know is that fats, while they are higher in calories, have the lowest insulin response of all three macronutrients. If you come from a calories or points background, you may have tried to reduce your fat consumption so you had more calorie wiggle room for lower calorie carbohydrates and proteins. And you can just forget all about that now. Again, I'm not gonna go into all of the detail here because I do that in my program and elsewhere, but I think it's really important to actually understand your food and learn how different nutrients affect your body differently because knowledge is power and when we know better, we do better. If you really wanna focus on reducing inflammation, focus on increasing your consumption of bioavailable omega-3 fatty acids and reduce your consumption of processed omega-6 fatty acids and trans fats. And I've also done a video that covers anti-inflammatory foods right here. I'll link to that below as well. Both omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids are considered essential, meaning the body can't make them and you have to get them from food. There are a number of different kinds of omega-3 fatty acids, but the most common are EPA, DHA, and ALA. This graphic shows that EPA and DHA are the types of omega-3s that are indeed anti-inflammatory. However, most people are not eating enough fatty fish and green algae to get the recommended amount. They may be eating good plant sources that have high amounts of ALA, like nuts and seeds, but the conversion ratio to the more anti-inflammatory omega-3s of EPA and DHA is pretty low, less than 15%. Interestingly, the EPA and DHA are made by microalgae, 
When fish eat phytoplankton, they consume the microalgae and they accumulate the omega-3s in their tissues. That's why many doctors and registered dietitians will recommend you take an omega-3 supplementation or fish oil because it's high in EPA and DHA and can help reduce inflammation. In addition to a fish oil supplementation or omega-3 supplementation, it's good to aim for fatty fish a couple times a week in your diet. Omega-3 fatty acids have been shown to have a lot of health benefits, including but not limited to improved heart health by increasing your HDL or quote unquote good cholesterol, reducing triglycerides, reducing blood pressure and the formation of arterial plaques, reduced symptoms of depression, even schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, reduced weight and waist circumference, reduced liver fat, improved bone mineral density, reduced asthma symptoms, and reduced inflammation and insulin resistance. The best sources of omega-3 fatty acids are green algae, which you could get in supplement form if you're into super healthy things like that, or my preference is fatty fish like salmon, also herring, mackerel, trout, sardines, tuna, and halibut. Plant sources of omega-3 fatty acids, which again are good for you, but won't have as powerful anti-inflammatory effects as the green algae or fatty fish include flax seeds, flaxseed oil, chia seeds, avocados, avocado oil, olives, cashews, walnuts, and almonds. The recommended ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids is four to one, or I've even see, seen two to one. But in the standard American diet, it's so high because of processed foods that the ratio is closer to 10 to one to 50 to one. To reduce this ratio and lower your inflammation, it's important to reduce or eliminate processed, refined seed and vegetable oils from your diet. While they are marketed as being heart healthy because they are high in unsaturated fat, don't be fooled. They are high in refined and ultra concentrated omega-6 fatty acids. Linoleic acid is one type of omega-6 and according to Dr. Bickman and why we get sick, the most easily oxidized type of fat, contributing to atherosclerosis, inflammation, and insulin resistance. I recommend using coconut oil, olive oil, avocado oil, butter or ghee for cooking, and avoid canola oil, corn oil, soybean oil, and other oils like that. I also recommend avoiding fried foods because they're usually fried in one of these types of processed oils. Levels of linoleic acid are much lower and less harmful when found naturally in foods like cashews, almonds, walnuts, hazelnuts, peanuts, and sunflower seeds. Yet another benefit to try and eat whole, real, unprocessed food. There's a lot to know about healthy, neutral, and unhealthy fats. I highly recommend educating yourself on how different types of macronutrients affect insulin inf and inflammation, because choosing healthier options because becomes so much simpler when you understand how the food you eat affects your body. Before I dive into my last tip, I must note that stress management, sleep, and movement are crucial elements to reduce insulin resistance as well. I didn't leave them out for any other reason than to help you prioritize your efforts on nutrition because food comes first. With optimized nutrition, your metabolic and likely physical and psychological stress levels will drop, and you may experience improvement in sleep quality as well. 
Exercise is helpful for improving insulin sensitivity, but I recognize that many people with arthritis feel a little bit limited with their exercise capacity. So use this training to help you prioritize your efforts to get the most return on your time and energy investment for weight loss. I've saved my favorite tip for last, and that's to use intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is one of, if not the most effective way to lower insulin resistance because when you fast, you're giving your body the chance to rest and digest. Fasting is also a proven way to lower inflammation, help you tap into your fat for fuel, and in my opinion, the coolest part, autophagy. Autophagy is literally self-eating. It's the body's way of cleaning out damaged cells in order to regenerate newer, healthier cells. Think of autophagy like after hours at a restaurant. When you're fasting, you're not constantly taxing your digestive system, similar to the waiters not constantly bussing tables and taking orders. Your body finally has time to clean up cellular debris, and autophagy starts at about 16 hours of fasting. So in order to get more of a benefit, you're gonna to wanna to work your way up to longer fasting periods, like 24 hours, if your goal is autophagy. I never want the word fasting to scare you. Remember that intermittent fasting is not about eating less, it's about eating less often. You're shifting your mindset from how do I eat less calories to how do I lower insulin? Remember that you're fasting anytime you're not eating. I encourage people to start with a 12 hour fast. This usually eliminates any late night snacking and immediately improves sleep quality. Fairly quickly, aim to increase that to 14 hours a day because that's gonna allow your insulin to drop back down to baseline. I really like the 5-1-1 schedule for fasting where five days a week you aim for 16 hours or 18 hours, one day a week you try a whole 24 hour fast, and one day a week is a flex day where you can be a little bit more flexible. Maybe you have three meals and fast just for 12 or 14 hours. I'm a big advocate for structured flexibility. I believe that no food is off limits and there are definitely no last meals. There's no point in living a restrictive lifestyle that you can't maintain just to lose weight. The 24 hour fast is relatively newer to my lifestyle, but I really do enjoy it. It took me a couple years to build up the courage to try it, but once you're used to fasting for 16 hours, realize that you're almost there. You just have eight more hours to go. And why we get sick, Dr. Bickman reported that patients who fast for 24 hours roughly once a month are about half as likely to be insulin resistant compared with those who didn't do that. I could talk about intermittent fasting all day because it's been such a powerful tool in my life and the lives of my clients. I have an entire module in my course dedicated to teaching you all you need to know about intermittent fasting because I believe in it that much. Before I share the bonus tip with you, let's recap the five things that I'd like you to prioritize to lose weight without exercise. Number one, check your medications. They may be raising your blood sugars and contributing to insulin resistance. Number two, reduce added sugars and refined carbohydrates. Number three, prioritize adequate total protein and the dosing of that protein for at least 30 grams of protein per meal. Number four, eat more healthy omega-3 fatty acids and reduce unhealthy processed vegetable and seed oils that are high in linoleic acid that's easily oxidized and contributes to inflammation and insulin resistance. Number five, use intermittent fasting. 
I think you can tell how passionate I am about helping adults reverse insulin resistance, lose weight, and prevent disease. As a geriatric physical therapist, I've seen the negative consequences that an unhealthy lifestyle has, and it's no fun and it's not pretty. For that reason, my bonus tip is to take advantage of my free masterclass training that teaches you how to lower your insulin resistance. I only shared five ways with you in this video, and this masterclass I'm sharing with you has 16 ideas to help lower your insulin resistance so you never feel stuck again. It's a really valuable training and many people have told me that they've had to watch it again and again to let the new information soak in. To get this absolutely free masterclass, go to www.weightlossforhealth.com forward slash masterclass. In addition to that training, you're gonna receive more training straight from my course to help you get started lowering insulin resistance and losing weight. Do not wait to take action. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Your future is completely in your hands and time is gonna pass either way. So I hope you spend your time and energy investing in your health and your future. I wanted to repeat that last part one more time, that time will pass either way and I want you to invest your energy in your future. I hear so often, I don't have any energy to try to lose weight. And I tell them there is no greater return on investment than the energy that you put into your health because you get so much more energy on the other end. So if that's where you are today, I just wanted to highlight that one little point. And if you got any value from today's episode, I would really appreciate it if you share it with someone that you love, share it with a friend or family member who needs to hear this hope and encouragement that they can lose weight without exercise. If you haven't already connected with me on Instagram and YouTube, I'm on both of those channels quite a bit. I'd love to connect with you on there. Be sure to take a screenshot if you're listening on your phone and tag me at Dr. Morgan Nolte. Let me know your favorite part of this week's episode. I will talk to you again, same time, same place next week. Bye for now.